Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT, with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as an NQT. I'll be talking to those new to teaching, as well as those who have spent a lifetime educating children. And one thing you can be sure of, they will all have something interesting and informative to say on the art of being a great teacher. Plus, they will reveal the one thing they wish they knew as an NQT that made a real difference to their teaching and might make a real difference for you too. Today, I'm talking to Claire Morris. Claire had always wanted to be a teacher as a child, but as for many of us, life took a different path. But after she had two children and they started school, she thought the next best thing to being a teacher would be to work as an LSA. Within a few months, she was on fire. So she worked through an OU degree whilst working as an LSA and bringing up her two children. In 2014, she began a skit course with the Essex and Thames primary skit, and she has never looked back. She is now maths lead and phase leader, as well as a skit school and class mentor, sharing what she learnt with those who are coming into the profession. Hello, Claire. Thanks for talking to me today. I'm very much looking forward to our chat. Hello. Do you know what, Jeremy? I am more nervous about this than I was when I went cage diving in South Africa with great white sharks. No. But it will be fine. And hopefully, yeah, (laughs) hopefully we can impart some knowledge. (laughs) Of course, because that's what it's all about, isn't it? All the pains we went through as teachers and the joys, of course, but sharing them with others is so powerful. Giving your experiences is, uh, well, it's an act of charity. And anyone who wants to learn can learn from anyone, can't they? That's it. That's the joy of the job. So we talked about your fire, Claire. Is your fire still burning as brightly as ever? Oh, it really is. I think, and I say to everyone who asks about teaching, and I talk to my family about it, that it really is the best job in the world. Um, And a real privilege to do the job as well. I think that being able to excite children and get them passionate about their learning is a huge responsibility to have but one that can make your day the best day no day is the same in teaching I'm sure everyone you talk to says that I mean an office job for me was always a big no-no so I think this is just perfect um I think when you've got 30 children that come to school every day just to school not just to see you but they do come just to see you <laughs> I, I think that's you true, isn't them. it? When you get the when you get the classroom right, children genuinely come to see you. They look forward to seeing you every day. They really do, and I think when you're teaching the curriculum and you're teaching your lessons and you're well planned, and then in the middle of a maths lesson, I don't know, Tommy will tell you that Bruno threw up on the cla- uh, carpet last night, and, you, and the next day you can say, "Oh, how's your dog today?" And it's those little moments of building bonds. And they think, how did you know that? Well, you told me in maths. And they've <laughs> forgotten that they've even told you. Or even them saying to the parents on the playground, oh, how's the dog? Is everything okay? And they just think, oh, well, that's wonderful. Um, that's more important, I think, than, than delivering the knowledge. <laughs> it is, because once you've got that bond, and this is something I have said to everyone and everyone has said to me, once you've got that bond, you can challenge them so much, can't you, as learners? I remember some parents said to me once at parents' evening, they said, I think you know our child better than we do. 
because of all those, oh, just like that. Bruno's thrown up. How's the dog? Oh, I know so much about your dog. I hear he chewed one of your shoes yesterday and you weren't very happy, etc., etc. Once you've got that bond, you can do anything with them, can't you? And demand anything from them. Yeah, I mean, when you can match up the coats with the children when they've left them on the playground and you know whose lunchbox belongs to whom and, and all of those things, they really trust you. And once you've earned their trust, then you can you can pretty much get away with most things with them and they believe you. They believe you when you tell them, I don't know, about tree octopuses and that's not a true thing, but they know about internet safety because you've sent them off on the internet website to find out about the tree octopus native of goodness knows where. And then when you reveal to them, that's completely untrue. They're like, oh, but you told us that it was true and they can't believe it. But they also learn about e-safety and not trusting what you read on the internet. So no, no, I think it's really important. Yeah, it's, it, it couldn't be more important, could it, that whole thing? And I, th- I think people underestimate it. I, I do read some – I've joined Twitter. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if that was a good idea, but I have. And I read some things and you think, why are you – Why? how do you ever come to be thinking like that? Educational stuff, I don't read all the, the bonkers stuff from around the world, but the educational stuff, and you think <laughs> it is, it's so much more than just delivering the curriculum – because if you want to su- successfully deliver the curriculum, once you've got that relationship with the children, you deliver the curriculum plus, 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 plus. Absolutely. There are some wonderful people to follow on Twitter, but it's the people that comment that are not educators or don't work in education, but because they've been to school, they know exactly what to say and they know exactly, they have an opinion on everything. You've you so just much. described government ministers, haven't you? I think so. <laughs> I once went to the doctors, I'm going to be a good health minister. I went to school, so I'm going to be a good education minister. I once had a car, so I'll be a good transport minister. I mean, it's farcical, isn't it? The whole system of government is farcical. but (laughs) Because the experts often don't get listened to. Never mind. Let's go back. Your first year of teaching. Vivid memories. Have you got anything where you just think... Because for you, luckily, that first year wasn't too long ago. But I've still got a lot of vivid memories from my first year even though it was all those years ago? Uh, Well, it was a fair few years ago now, but actually in the grand scheme of teaching careers, it it wasn't that long ago, really. Um, I mean, my first memory is a real basic one, but one that will always stick with me. And I, I listened to a couple of your other podcasts and I think it was James mentioned the same thing, that first 30 seconds when you close your classroom door with your first class and they're all eager looking at you. <laughs> Gosh. Um, but for me, it was the register, just taking that register for the first time because over the summer I'd had my class list, I'd got to know all their names, but I hadn't put the faces to the names and I'd had kind of an afternoon with them in the in the July term to to meet them but it was just meeting them for that first time and and they were just so ready to be led through their first year at junior school um and really it was them that did most of the leading that year because there were a few times where I thought I don't know what I'm doing I don't know how to get through this but you know asking colleagues and and just the children going it's fine don't worry and learning that making mistakes in front of your children is actually what makes you human um, and they they love you even more for it. So you obviously create a fantastic supportive environment for the children in your class. 
Have you got any specific memories of, of when that was really important, that you had that bond? Um, I think for me, in my first year, unfortunately, one of the children in my class, their mother died. His mum had been poorly for a little while, um, so he was prepared as much as a seven-year-old can be prepared. Um, but he just trusted me to help him through that and the she died in the evening and the next day he wanted to be in school. Um, he said, I need to see Miss Morris. I need to, I want to be with her. And he was in school and he just stayed really close. Um, he wanted to do all the lessons. He didn't really want to talk about it. He just wanted to be in a normal environment for him. Um, and initially his dad went, oh, you know, I don't think you should go in. And he phoned in the morning. He said, what do you think? And I said, well, let him lead. Let him decide what he wants to do. And if it's too much, we'll give you a call and you, and you can come pick him up. And he had the best day because he was with his friends. He was doing his usual routine. And as the weeks and, and months kind of passed on, he had his counselling. And some days he just came into school, played with his friends, had a giggle, had a laugh. And other days he found them really difficult. But whatever kind of day he was having, he'd always come up and say, I'm having a good day today, or I'm really not having a good day today. And he'd, he'd just communicate that so brilliantly and so maturely that it just made you want to be there for him but you had to be led by him you couldn't kind of prepare for it I looked online and looked about how to help children with grief and actually there's not very much support out there so you have to go with your teaching instinct of what's best for the child and what's best for the child is to be led by them and I think although that was a really difficult moment in my NQT year it's taught me an awful lot about reading children's emotions and being there for them but not preparing for it because you can't you know you can put together all the packs and have discussion points and games to play but actually some children just want to be in their normal environment and be cared for in that sensitive way so that was the challenge. Yeah, I, I can see that. And, and I love the way you've talked about supporting that boy just by being led by him, because that's so important. I think at times we make too important this idea of having structured support for everything. And sometimes what you need, in fact, often what you need is just to have a great relationship with the child and then work it out together. And I think that's as true for learning, isn't it, as it is for these emotional issues that everybody has and every child has to a greater or lesser extent. And I must admit, I, I used to get a little tired by some of the A to Z approaches to looking after children or supporting children when you think, actually, I know them better than anyone else. So these are useful and interesting things to read, but I'm not going to follow them verbatim I'm going to do what I think is right for the child and I think yeah. that's really important he's near eight now when he still comes back to visit the school and so oh, Miss Morris I'm doing this now and I'm doing that now and he's just this bundle of life and energy and, and quite a lot of the teachers are quite fun, fond of this little boy not you know we we don't have favorites but there are children that do stick in your mind perhaps more than well, others and, and, he's yeah, and especially one of those them. who've been traumatized because your yeah. heart goes out to them doesn't it i can think of numerous children who, for whom school was the most important things in thing in their life i had a boy once who called me the king and i said no you're the king he said no you're the king i said all right then you're the prince he said all right i'll be the prince wow and i can still remember him james james if you're listening <laughs> you know who you are a, a very touching moment 
So what about happier <laughs> times in your first year? Anything that made you laugh a lot? There's quite a lot that made me laugh quite a lot, quite hysterically at times. But I think I think laughter, if you can build a foundation in your classroom on, on laughter within the remit of getting back on track, having a laugh, but knowing when to get back on track. If they can get back on track, then you've got them where you need them. That's it. But I think a foundation of laughter in a classroom is where you can build respect and not laugh at one another, but laugh together. Um, so a couple of nuggets that I remember certainly from that year are uh, we were in science and we were learning about what animals produce what and one little boy was so adamant and he had his hand up I've got one I've got one I said oh go on then and he said well we all know that butter comes from butterflies so that that's why they have pretty packaging and I and we went oh does it he said yeah that's why they're called butterflies and he was so clear that that was what it was. And he, you know, when you think, is he joking? But he definitely wasn't joking. And, and the children around the classroom were glancing at each other thinking, is that right? And I said, should we explore that a little bit? And we looked at information about cows and milk and, and churning of butter. Uh, so he said, oh, so just because it says butter in their name, they don't actually make butter. I said, no, they don't, darling. He went, oh, I'm so stupid. I said, but that's it. You're not stupid. We've learned something really important. And then because he was able to laugh at himself, we could kind of share that, that joke almost with him. But rather than, I think I was able to create a culture in my classroom that we don't laugh at children when they say the wrong thing. We explore it and we find out how we can kind of get into the right answer. And then we can share the funny side of those things. Oh, and I had this wonderful little girl um, after about six weeks of learning about the Titanic. Um, she said to me, oh, Miss Morris, if they just watched the film, they'd have known the boat was going to sink and they'd have all been OK. And so I had to spend a long time kind of unpicking with her that the film is, is made after the actual event and, and not in 1912. She went, so... They didn't record it sinking. I said, well, if there'd been a whole film crew recording it, they probably would have saved a lot more people and they wouldn't have been able to do that in 19 times. Oh, so they didn't know it was going to sink. No, they absolutely didn't know it was going to sink. Hence the unsinkable ship that we've been talking about. Oh, okay. It's just those brilliant moments that I think stick in your mind, not because children have misunderstood something, but because they're so open to you kind of reframing a misconception and they say oh okay and off they go and they've got that knowledge now to move forward with. absolutely and you've sort of illustrated a point so much in life appears real that is actually fake there yes. was a there was a great co quote from a guy called Gerald Haig he, he was a teacher primary secondary and then became an education writer and he said, the big problem we have in, in society at large is that anyone believes any old codswallop that anybody cares to tell them. And of course, children, because they have such limited experiences, are, of course, prone to believe in codswallop. Although, sadly, looking at our general population, um, we seem to have quite a few million people who believe any old codswallop as well. And um being able to to decipher the real from the fake is a pretty important life skill, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. So what about your greatest achievement then? Your greatest achievement? You've, you've <laughs> had so many, of course, and you will have many more. But to date, 
This was really difficult to think about. And I, I certainly can't choose one particular thing. Um, but I think on a daily basis, you know that you're going, your children are going to arrive at school, they're going to sit in your classroom, and they um, can either be a, a group of passive learners or they can be really motivated to want to learn. And I think if you can capture that intrinsic motivation in children, then you're winning at any point in your teaching career. But if you can do it, then children just switch on and they are skipping through that door and then what are we doing today? And they come up and they look at your visual timetable. Oh, we're doing this. I'm so excited. We're doing that. And you never get that, oh, we're doing maths or oh, we're doing, we just don't have that. And and I'm not saying that that's possible for every child in your class because it's really hard to do. But I feel like if you can do that for the majority, then actually the others kind of follow on because they, they want to be on the happy side of the classroom. That's it. And it's the majority most of the time, isn't it? Yeah. So so even um, those unhappy ones will be happy sometimes. I once had a girl, I worked so hard with her. This was in my NQT year. And she didn't think much of school and she definitely didn't think much of me. And uh, it was I worked so, so hard. She had a lead part in the in the musical we put on. She had a beautiful singing voice, but she never smiled. And I used to say, come on now, let's have a smile here. This is a very happy part of the show. I need you. You're the leading lady. I need you to smile. And uh, at the end of the year, one of the teachers made me a book from the children. And it was lovely. You know, Mr. Crook, he's the best teacher we've ever had. He's marvellous. We do such exciting things. It's brilliant. And this particular girl wrote, uh, I really like Mr. Crook. And when I read that, I thought, oh, blimey, I actually (laughs) managed to make the difference I hoped. And then she put, but I like all the other teachers in the school more. (laughs) (laughs) And you can see. Well, just hold on to the first part. That's it. And that's what I do all the time. But uh, (laughs) she, uh, it was a very funny moment. I was working in China last year, the year before last, before lockdown happened, training their teachers. One of the teachers said, Oh, I'd so like to be a pupil in your class. And I said, really? She said, yes, because you care so much about everyone that you're teaching. And I said, that's an English teacher thing. We really care about our students so much. But that's what you've shown us so much today. God, it just sounds wonderful. I want to be in your class. Ah, you're more than welcome. You know you are whenever you like. <laughs> right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop over this year and see you. Yeah, You might I learn will. about something. I don't know, Titanic maybe. <laughs> well, definitely, because... Why did it sink when they were filming it? Precisely. They knew the iceberg was there. (laughs) Um, But teaching has many challenges, doesn't it? So the biggest challenge in your NQT year? For me, certainly, I kind of went all guns blazing. I said yes to everything. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. And I volunteered for all the things. So it's staff meetings. Oh, there's no one to take this assembly. I'll do that. Oh, there's nobody to, you know, lead this working party on the marketing party. I'll do that. And I just, I wanted to say yes to everything. Quite annoyingly so, I'd imagine, to my colleagues. But actually... Yeah, although I bet the head loved you. Because, yeah, well, she did. Yeah, because <laughs> crikey, did. the staff who put themselves forward are gold dust, aren't they? They, they are, really because are. You, can, you can see why it's easy to sit back and go, hmm, that one over there in the corner, she wants to do everything. Let's <laughs> crack on with it. 
But you do have to remember that you're not just there for your NQT year. Is that old saying of, you know, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And you will get to a point where you go, oh, gosh, I've got all this to do and I haven't tidied my classroom and I haven't put that display up or I haven't thought about my resources for my science lesson tomorrow. And But actually now I've got to go and prepare for a whole school assembly. So although it's really important to try and put yourself forward and, and push yourself out of your comfort zone, it's also recognising that you've got a whole career to do all of those things as well and just absorb it. I think absorb and learn in those, certainly in those first couple of terms and maybe in that summer term, dip your toe into a few more projects and trying out different things. But just look after yourself. I, I really did go all guns blazing and everyone went, oh, whoa, you know, you've got you've got a lifetime at this, Claire. Calm down. I, was, I just want to do it all. And it's so, it's so exciting. And I feel when I look where I am now in my career, I do so much more on a daily basis than just a class teacher. You know, I check in with my colleagues, I line manage, I do my uh, subject leadership and, and also teaching students how to be teachers as well. But I have a class of 30 and I'm a full-time teacher and that comes first. But you just learn how to kind of balance those plates as you move through it. But you can't do it all on day one in your first week. So that's that's that was certainly a big challenge for me. <laughs> yeah. And and any concerns you had in your first term? Well, I think assessment really was the biggest thing for me. How did I know that the lessons I was delivering was making an impact and that the children were making progress? And I think um initially it was very much well assessment is I don't know you give it a one two or three or working towards working out exceeding and actually opening up that mindset of it's far more than that um and that that took me a little while to really understand that and the more experienced I became the more I realized that actually you can you're assessing all of the time and that one um end of term paper is a snapshot of what a child can do not um actually who they are and and they might be having a bad day or they might have you know, not read the question properly. That doesn't mean they can't do that thing. It just means at that point, in that second, they made a little error. So you shouldn't then say, oh, well, they can't do that. Then they're not where they should be. And I think being able to learn how to pick out those bits on a daily basis in a lesson saying, well, actually, I know that child can apply those times tables because I see it every day. Oh, but in the test, they didn't get it. So you wouldn't say, oh, they can't do that then. So learning how to kind of draw out those assessment opportunities on a daily basis, but also celebrating the children that can do lots of other things as well. It's not just about their academic achievements. It's about, you know, did that child, were were they able to come into school today without crying at the gate? Or were they able to go through a lunchtime without having a fallout with their friends? You're assessing that as well because emotional well-being is as important as their academic attainment. And and that's really difficult to pick up on sometimes. But I'm going to go back to it. It's all about knowing your children. Yeah. And and if you you create the classroom environment you create, actually, it's remarkably easy to pick up on, isn't it? Because you're genuinely interested in the children as a whole person, not just as a a writer against year four criteria. I say to lots of the trainees I work with, you have to use your intuition as teachers. 
You don't need everything written down to be sure about a judgment. Mm. You can be sure about a judgment from seeing someone do something every day. You don't need to rely on a test to be sure that you know they can use a comma accurately because you see them do it every day. And if they get it wrong in a test once, like you said, once a snapshot, oh, you didn't do it once, but I've seen you do it 50 times, but I'm not going to credit you with it because you didn't do it on the one occasion you had to. I mean, it's nonsense beyond beyond belief, isn't it? It is. I mean, you have to be their advocate and their champion as well because there will be moments in your year where you have to go to pupil progress meetings and you have to present the data that is literally a spreadsheet and you'll get questioned why these children aren't where they're supposed to be. So, well, actually, on that data of that one particular test, that is what they did. But look at all the things they can do. Mm. And, and that's your job as their class teacher to really champion and champion those children. And if those children aren't doing those things on a daily basis, you step back and you say, okay, what do I need to do to Absolutely. help them get there? You, take um, you don't just leave them floundering. Mm. What am I going to do about it? We've seen that, haven't we? There's been such a debate and argument about GCSE and A-level results and saying how can they be so different from previous test years? Well, because they're not tested. It's not a test. It's not a one-off snapshot. It's a months of progress and a months of achievement that we're measuring rather than one and a half hours in a test. I was thinking about this last night, actually, and... When, we, when we're teaching writing, for example, or guided reading, we often talk about how an author shows the reader and doesn't tell them. And, actually, and I think assessment's a bit like that. What can the children show you on a daily basis rather than what they can tell you in one test? Oh, I love that. That's, that's yeah. the advice all you NQT, that's my advice NQT, for NQT yeah. inexperienced, experienced, any teacher out Anyone. there who's still puzzled by assessment, just say that for us again. Yeah. So what can children show you on a daily basis rather than what they can tell you in a snapshot on a test or on a, an assessment or even just, you know, on a times table or a spelling test? But we know that they can do it on every day. So they show you all of the time. And I think we forget that sometimes because data is, schools are data driven sometimes and governors want to know what your data is. And, but that's why you have to be their champion. Well, this yeah. is what they show me every day. And data's good, isn't it? I love data. I'm a, I'm a scientist, mathematician. I love data. It's really interesting to look at, but you've got to go underneath it, haven't you? It's, it's knowing your children. It's the most hey, important Knowing thing. your children. Well, well, that, that should be the last bit of advice we have uh, from you. We've had so much for one podcast, I should think. I listened to a podcast the other day. It was two and a half hours long. It ever so interesting. And, uh, and the person said, well... The presenter said at the end, well, you might have to listen to this five or six times to get everything out of that. And I thought, well, it's two and a half hours long, five or six (laughs) times. Who's got 15 hours to pick everything out of it? That's why I try to keep my ones quite short. But you've given us loads of advice. But, But is there anything else? One more thing, your last bit of advice. What I wish I knew as an NQT, what would it be? Where are the glue sticks? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's super important to know where everything is but seriously I think there's this phrase that you you know you might get this on a mug when you're a teacher or a bag that's saying oh teachers are superheroes we've got superpowers and I always thought that was a bit 
a bit of a cliche, but actually, do you know what? We really are superheroes because there is no other job or no other profession that enables you to shape the minds of young people and just to have such a huge impact on their lives. They spend more time with you on a daily basis than they do with their families sometimes. And actually, that's that's incredible. And if you can sort of shape children to remember those little moments in their education or in, in your class or remember, oh, do you remember when we made those things? Or do you remember when we learned that little rule about spelling? And they'll use that for the rest of their lives. I know I look back uh, on my some of my primary school teachers and I remember the things they taught me because mm. they really stuck. And actually, it's their formative years. It and, and to be able to influence that is a real superpower, I think. And we should be really proud of what we do on a daily basis in education because we do get bashed sometimes and we don't... We get bashed a lot and far too much. And, the, and, and it the, makes you feel a bit dejected. You think, oh, why am I doing this? But every day, those li- little faces that are looking up at you, waiting, that's what yeah. you do it every day. And, 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 and on the whole, the teaching profession is an outstanding profession full of brilliant people who care desperately about their children and go way beyond what would be expected in any other job. You, Claire, are a superwoman. (laughs) Teachers, you have superpowers. Use them. Use them wisely, of course, but use them every day. Claire, that's been so interesting. Thank you so much for talking to me. Now, some of the things you said remind me of something that Helen Keller said. I don't know if you know much about Helen Keller, but uh, she was an American author, disability rights advocate, political activist, lecturer. Her life was utterly remarkable. And guess what? She lost her sight and hearing at the age of 19 months, and yet she achieved all those things. She still learnt to read and write, thanks to her own determination, of course. But guess what? She had a superhero with her. She had a teacher, Anne Sullivan, amazing woman, who helped her to read and write and develop her language so that not only was she the first blind person to uh, get a Bachelor of Arts degree from Harvard University, no less, she achieved all those other things in her life. Her, Her story is absolutely inspiring. And one of her most famous quotes is, I long to accomplish a great and noble task but it is my chief duty to accomplish small tasks as if they were great and noble. And as teachers, we should hold on to that forever. Our task each day contains many small tasks, but they are all great and noble for the children we teach. And and Claire, you've just shown us that, haven't you? How I to be, so. You have, how to be great and noble. That poor lad who lost his mum the girl who thought the Titanic was being filmed live, you know? These are all great and noble tasks, aren't they? But they're only small tasks, but absolutely important for each individual child at that moment. So uh, you've shown us that so well today. Crikey, that was interesting. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. So what now, listeners? What's the one small thing you'll do tomorrow that will make a difference to your teaching and a difference to the success of your pupils? Remember, I've said this before, I'll say it again. One small step at a time is the way to continual improvement. 
So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll keep you updated on what's to come on Twitter at WhatNQT, of course. I look forward to being with you next time for another educational chat with an inspiring teacher. And crikey, Claire, you have been inspiring. Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT.